Well, we're going to close up our Turning Point series that we've been in for a few weeks, and we'll uh, jump into that in a moment in the book of Mark. But before we do that, I want us to pray briefly, if you'd join me. God, speak to us now. Your people are listening. We've had some time now to be able to stop and lift our voices to you and tell you how great you are, and now we are ready to hear what you have to say to us. We pray that your spirit would be the loudest thing in the room, far louder than my voice, far louder than anything around us, that you would speak to our hearts now. We ask that you would give us minds to understand your word, hearts to believe your word, and hands that are ready to apply your word. We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, our Savior. We love you, Father. Amen. We've spent a few weeks with this turning point idea. Uh, We began a few weeks ago with a simple question Jesus asked someone do you want to get well? And he asked someone who was obviously sick. And so it was a strange question, but it was an important question for him to be able to move forward. Uh, Then the next week, we took a look at an encounter that Jesus had with a lady who was meeting Jesus on her worst day, which sounds like a, a great person to meet on your worst day, but also a very embarrassing experience. And Jesus could have said a lot of things, but he just said, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And then last week, we looked at two simple words that Jesus spoke to a few different people, follow me. And their responses to those potential turning points changed everything for them, changed the trajectory of their lives, changed the direction in which they were going. And it's important for us to grasp this because each of us has had or will have a potential turning point in our lives. There will be a diagnosis, or there will be a severance package presented, or there will be um, someone who says, this is not going to work out, or someone who says, hey, I need you to go to a different location or a new branch, or there's someone to meet, or there's a new place to live, or uh, there's a new encounter, a new experience, or a graduation, or whatever it is, but there are those moments along the way that God orchestrates, and then God intervenes and gives us a chance to either turn it down or turn it around. And one of the two will happen. We're either going to turn down the opportunity, stay on the path that we're on, or we're going to take advantage of it and turn everything in our lives around. Now, I don't mean to say that it always has to be, I'm going down a horrible road towards death, and God turned me around. I was so immoral, and I was so off the rails, and then God turned me around. Now I'm living a godly life. That's a definite turning point. But sometimes God simply gives us an opportunity to go from just existing to actually living a life of significance, or as I sometimes say, from blah to blessed. Like that, God says, I mean, you're doing what you're doing. You're living your life. You're paying your bills. You're surviving, but you were made for more than this. And the more is over here, and he presents those turning points. And either you've had yours or you're going to have yours, and I want us to make sure that we don't miss at least an understanding of what he's doing. And then the choice will be up to you, as the choice is up to me as well. Well, today marks the beginning of Easter week, so let's go there. It was two days before Jesus' arrest, three days before Jesus' death. Jesus is with some people, and he's at a dinner party. He knows that there are people around him that are plotting to kill him, but he stayed on course. He stayed purposeful. He was with the people that he wanted to be around. He said some things that he needed to say before he left them. And in the midst of all that, he's at this dinner party at the home of a man named Simon. And we find this in the book of Mark chapter 14, the second book in the New Testament, the second gospel. 
most likely the first gospel actually written, but it'll be the second in, in your New Testament. And in verse three, it says, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. It doesn't matter where, how we try to imagine this, we're not really going to grasp the significance of what's going on. You're either stuck on the fact that a stranger broke in the place, broke a jar of perfume and poured it on Jesus' head, or you're stuck wondering what in the world is nard. Like, regardless, I have no answers. It's, it's a strange scenario. But we can tell, and we're all intelligent enough to read through and realize this was not an insult. This was not a lady coming in saying, I'm done with this. I'm mad at you. This was a lady coming in trying to offer her best to this man. She knew Jesus was there. She wasn't invited. She wasn't on the list. There was no way that she was going to walk up to a room full of men in this house listening to Jesus uninvited, and people were going to turn and say, oh, glad you're here. We've been waiting on you. That wasn't going to happen. In her culture, this was not only unacceptable, it was a little wrong for her to approach these men and speak up. And It doesn't make sense. It's not right, but it was how culture was for them. I just want us to grasp the gravity of what the lady was going through and all the things she was having to overcome in order to offer this worship this gift that she was giving God. So she has her savings wrapped up in all, this, uh, all the money that she's collected and somehow it's in this jar of perfume. Whether she purchased it for that, whether she stole it, whether it was given to her, she has this. And we're told that it's actually worth more than any man could make in one year. So obviously more than she could make in a year because the pay scale was not that even at that time. So she's got this incredibly expensive gift, and she's on the outside of this house, and I envision her walking up to the door, seeing the crowds on the backs of all these men who are there talking with Jesus, and she steps forward and says, oh, I, can't, I can't do this. No, I've got to. I don't know when he's coming back. I, I can't do this. Just this back and forth outside the house, pacing, people saying, can I help you? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just thinking. I just, I got to figure this out trying to decide, do I go through and put myself through all that? Because if I do this, you don't come back from this. If I walk in there, step over those men, go straight to Jesus, crack open this jar of perfume and pour it on his head, then what? Like, I, I can't say, oh, sorry, wrong person, wrong house. <laughs> I mean, this, this is it. You don't go back from this. I'm either going to risk everything or I'm just going to sit back and assume that this is just a bad idea. Because if I go in and they shame me, if they shun me, if they kick me out of the house, then this is the best. This is all I know to do. This is the best I can offer this man to show him that I believe. But if it doesn't work, where do I go from that? In verse 4, it says, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. What seemed like a risk and possibly a waste was actually a step of faith for her to somehow find the courage to step up and do this one thing that would not make sense to anyone else, and she knew it. There's no way she thought she would walk in and all those men would say, 
well, we're embarrassed. We should have done the same thing. What a great decision. She knew there was a possibility that she was going to be rejected in this way and pushed out in this way. She understood that. And her only hope was that if somehow she could find a way to present it so that Jesus would accept it, that in her heart she would at least know for one time in my life I did the right thing for the right reasons and it paid off. And yet here she is standing in front of these people, humiliated, wondering, did I do the right thing? What, I mean, this is, this is the it. Like, this is all I know to do. I don't have anything else to offer. I'm a woman that's not welcome in this place, and I did my best. And apparently, my best wasn't enough. So she needed a defender. She needed someone to step in her place in between her and the crowd. And in verse 6, we find that. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That is a powerful, strong picture. Jesus, instead of embarrassment, gave her encouragement. And instead of shame, he gave her hope. She stepped in and said, this is all I have to offer. And everyone around said, get out of here. You are a foolish, foolish woman. And Jesus said, leave her alone. And turns out the actions were not just accepted and not just welcomed. They're actually helpful. Because what those in the room failed to see, what Jesus knew was that this was going to be his last week before his crucifixion. He was in the last 72 hours that he would have before his most difficult, trying time of all the 38, 33 years that he would walk the earth. And she was able in this moment to give Jesus the only thing he actually wanted, it was just encouragement in that time. And it was provided by this lady's gift. So he turned to her and said, here's the deal. Not only do I accept it, not only is it okay that you do this for me, but this is going to be, and catch this, this is going to be your defining moment. This is going to be your finest hour. From now on, everyone who talks about you will just go back to this, the moment when you and I connected. This will be your time more than anything else. And in 2,000 years, there's going to be a no-count-nothing preacher in Clarksville, Tennessee, preaching about your, your story to all the people that he cares about. Your story, you're going to be a legend. You're not just going to be remembered. You are going to be legendary because of this gift, because of this risk you took. She just stepped out and said, I don't know what else to do but to take everything that I have and give it to this man. And I just hope that it, this is accepted. And Jesus said, oh, your worship's more than accepted. This is going to make you a legend. This is your story. This is your defining moment. And don't we all just want to be able to define our own moments and say, this is how I want you to remember me. Every time, and I wish I didn't, wasn't there so often, but every time I stand before people who are grieving the loss of someone else, I think about that. I've even thought about writing my own and giving it to one of you saying, with your blood, promise these are the words you're going to say about me. 
when I'm gone. Nothing more, nothing less. Like, say this. I want to have control over my narrative because um, I'm a guy, but also just because I'm a human and I want to be able to determine what my story is going to be. And we all want that. And Jesus told this lady, listen, for as long as you live, nothing is going to supersede this. And whatever you did before, this is how you're going to be known. When she was on the outside of that house, if she had known that this was the turning point, that this was going to change everything for her, there would have been no hesitation. She would have run into that house. Men would have looked at her. She would have said, look away. If you don't like it, I'm coming to him. Here's the perfume. I poured on your head. I'm bowing. I give you my life. But she didn't know. And I wonder after the crucifixion, if there was a little part of her when she got the word that Jesus had been killed in town or right outside of town. I wonder if she thought, I was just close to missing it. I almost chickened out. My legacy was almost fear and failure. But because I stepped in and was willing to risk it all, now my legacy is one of faith. I have legendary faith. And it's not about my glory, but goodness gracious, I had no idea I was so close to missing it. And most of you have no idea how close you are right now to turning everything around with one decision. And you're nervous, you're pacing, you're not sure, you get that lump in your throat, you get that burden, you get that nervous energy, like, ah, I don't know, and you just pace back and forth. It reminds me of my time of asking my bride to marry me. I was in college and uh, had a feeling that I had done as well as I was ever going to do. I don't mean that in a crude way, but I, I was topping out with her. Like, that was it. Like, I was, I'd searched my life that was going to be her. I thought, I'm just going to at least try. I hope she'll somehow not meet anybody else that will tell her any differently. We're going to slowly try to protect this relationship. And the summer after uh, our sophomore year, I said to her, I said, hey, uh, I, just, I was reading this article the other day in the paper, and it said, tour the Holy Land. You want to go? I know, it'd be cool. She's like, well, who's going? I was like, I don't know. It was from somewhere in Texas, and we were in Tennessee. And she's like, we don't know anybody. I was like, I don't I know. Isn't it great? I just, that's kind of the way I look at life. And my wife, who had never done anything spontaneous before or since, um, said, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And I said, okay, let's, let's go. Just a couple of kids. We're kind of new into the dating thing. Let's just go to Israel together. We were both uh, followers of Jesus, and I didn't know I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life, but I thought, how cool would it be to walk where Jesus walked, or at least where the people that I paid told me he walked. Anyway, but I, how great would it be to be in the general area where this was happening? Well, between that time and New Year's Eve, when we left to go to uh, the Holy Land, I decided along the way, I, I want to ask her to marry me. And so I bought a ring, talked to her parents and the whole deal. And I remember thinking, how do I want to do this? Like my friends are all getting buddies together at restaurants and taking pictures and, and kneeling down, you know, and doing the whole thing like you're supposed to, the, you know, in the movies. And I thought, what if? None of my boys have ever proposed in Israel. So what if? And I started thinking like, that would be it. How do you top that story? And how do you say no to a dude who's, you know, next to where Jesus was raised, is going, will you marry me? Like, you can't turn that down. So I thought I might be safe. I thought, okay, so I was going to propose in Israel. So I had the ring with me, and you've got options. You know, are you going to check it? No, obviously not. I'm going to put it in a bag and 
just give it to someone to pack on the plane. I didn't want to put it in my carry-on because all Walmart carry-ons look alike. And I thought, I don't want to take a chance there. I've got to hold it with me the whole time. I mean, it's more money than I've ever had before sunk into this ring. This is all I've got. I actually had to borrow it from my grandmother, but anyway, because <laughs> the, the other grandmother paid for the trip. But it, it was a lot, a lot of borrowing <laughs> happening in my life. So I had the ring tucked away in my pocket. But then it hit me. I thought, wait a minute. What if I go through the scanner thing at the airport and the ring goes off? I, Looking at me, you'd think I'd wear a lot of jewelry, but I shockingly have not. I have not worn much jewelry in my life. I'd never had a ring until the day I was married. So I thought, I does this go off? And it, you know, what if it does? So I had to begin the replay. Like, this is how this, or not replay, but plan. This is how this is going to go. So we got there to the uh, Nashville airport, getting ready to leave. And I saw a man come up with a scanner, and I just thought, well, it's, it's happening now. Might as well. So I went to a knee, said, come on through. I went, oh, okay. So I just kind of went on because in my mind, I thought, I've got to be ready to drop to a knee and propose at any time because if she finds this ring, the secret's it's out. So I never knew. So we flew to New York. We got to LaGuardia. We got ready for the airport there, going through the scanner. Of course, they heard the beep when it was coming down. I thought, oh, here it goes. I went down. Nope, coming through. Whoop, never mind. So, I, so I'm doing lunges through New York into Paris, or Orleans, actually, into Tel Aviv. And I'm just constantly just preparing to propose over and over and over and over again. And then when we got to our hotel, I thought it was such a cool ballroom place in downtown Tel Aviv. There was a wedding thing going on. They're smashing glass around everyone's. I thought, like, this is a cool, this is a pretty, pretty awesome setting. So I thought, no, I just can't. Not, not here. The focus, no, I can't do that. So the next morning we got up for breakfast and we're uh, in Caesarea. We're having this breakfast thing. I'm thinking, I can't even remember what happened in Caesarea, but it seems really holy. And I thought this might be the time. And then the waiter came in and said, oh, could you move over? You know, constantly moving around. Nervous, when's the right time? How? Well, we got to January the 3rd. I'd been there for four days on this, you know, eight day trip. I thought, I'm halfway through and I haven't, haven't pulled the trigger. I've got to do this thing. Like, I've got to do it somehow, somewhere, somewhere. And that day we walked around what they said was the Via Dolorosa where Jesus walked to Calvary or later on rather that, uh, the next day. And I still thought, ah, this is not weird. I've got a fanny pack on. I have people around. It was just, ah. So we got to our hotel and I thought, this is, this is it. And we had, that day we had traveled to Galilee and so we went down to the Sea of Galilee, and we literally sat on the edge. We're sitting on rocks with our feet in the Sea of Galilee. And I thought, men, top that. Like, I thought, this is the thing, you know? So we were sitting there together. I held her hand. We started to pray. And I thought, how cool would it be if we're praying, and she just realizes there's a, a ring in her hand, like it's happening, you know? So I, I, I should have written the movie, but I had all these things... <laughs> And I held her hand, and then I went to let go, and she was letting go. I thought, whoa, she didn't feel it. Like, we're on rocks. It's like midnight, and we're on the Sea of Galilee. And so I pressed hard. I drew blood, and she was like, ah. You know, I said, check your hand. You know, I was like, oh, it's a wedding. You know, so we had the thing, and then we prayed, and she cried. And, and then we're on the water, so voices are traveling. And I kid you not, and, and she's, I think, I don't think she's in this anywhere, or she is, but I think she's in the kids' area right now. You can ask her. Like, this was part of the story. that We were there. And when she said yes, and she hugged me, and 
there were some Hebrew fishermen out on the water and they're like, hey. so I didn't realize, I thought we were alone. Like we didn't, we weren't alone. Like it was just a, such a cool, cool moment. And that moment changed everything for me. And I remember up until that moment thinking, what if she says no? What if this is the wrong place? What if this is not how she wants to be asked? What if we're, we're, we have 40 strangers that we'd never met until we got to the airport? We didn't know anybody here. Is this the right place? And, and what if I'm not good enough for her? And what if a few years from now, she looks back and regrets it and realizes I, without a doubt, could have done better than him? And well, what if we get to this point and I have all these questions? But at some point, I just said, literally, here's all I have. And I give it to you. And there are so many reasons for you right now to stay where you are the way you are. But I fear that some of you are going to look back and realize that you turned down the potential turning point for you. That God gave you one more opportunity to turn it around and you just turned it down. And what I further hope that you grasp from this and this lady's story and testimony is that you may not see it this way, but that risk that you're taking to say, God, here is my worship that I'm giving you. Not that I'm singing, but I'm literally giving you with the decisions I'm making. That may actually be your defining moment in your life. And there are so many other things that you want to define your life, but it might be what's just on the other side of that step of obedience that God breaks through and says, this is how you'll be remembered. And whenever people talk about you, when they talk about me, they're going to talk about us because this was the moment you did what I asked you to do. So I wonder if some of you would have the courage this week to call or probably text your friends and say, hey, uh, you know we've got each other's backs and we're friends for life and I don't want anything to come between us, but I am a follower of Jesus and I want to continue to be better at obeying him. So this weekend, I'm out. I, I can't. I'm not against you. I'm not holding anything against you for it, but I just, I can't. I know what God wants of me and this is just not it. I hope this doesn't change things for me. Or maybe you're a girlfriend and you need to talk to your boyfriend and you need to say, I care about you a lot. And I even, I want to be with you. But the first man in my life is Jesus. And because of that, I'm just gonna say no right now. Like this is just, we're not gonna go any further than this. Because obeying him is more important than even making myself happy, much less making you happy. So I hope we can stay in this relationship, but I, the answer is just no. Or maybe you need to take that brave step across 12 yards of grass to that neighbor and say, okay, eventually it was gonna get weird and today is the day. We've been friends for a long time and we don't wanna live near anyone else but you guys, perfect neighbors. We're also followers of Jesus, and I've waited way too long, and it's embarrassing, but I just want to go ahead and break the ice now and say, I would love for you to come and be our guest on Easter, to come to church with us. And even if you say no, we're still friends, and we're still here for you, but that's the most important thing in my life. And I've just, I've, I haven't brought it up because I didn't want to make things awkward with us. So I just made things awkward with us, but I, I just want you to know this is what's most important.
Or maybe some of you parents need to sit down with your kids and say, you know that I love you and I actually want you to like me back. But God is holding me responsible for the direction of our home. And because of that, the time will come when you get to make your own decisions and that time is not today. We're gonna honor God and do things his way. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but God's holding me responsible for our home. Or if you're married, maybe some of you men need to talk to your wife tonight and say, okay, it's obvious, you know Jesus better than I do. You know more verses than I do. And you're, you seem to be more in tune with all the spiritual things than I am. But I also know that I want to be the man God wants me to be. So would you join me in the most awkward prayer that we've ever prayed out loud together? Because this is going to be terrible. And I know that. But bear with me. I'm trying. I want to honor him the best I can. So before we turn it in tonight, I want to pray with you out loud and just ask God to continue the work he's done in us. I don't know what step you need to take. It's not going to feel like breaking open a perfume bar, a bottle and pouring it on someone's head. It's not going to be that strange and awkward, but it's going to cost. But what you don't know is that if maybe your breakthrough, your turning point is just on the other side of that step of obedience, of saying, man, these people are going to think I've lost it. And they may laugh at me. They may push me away. They may cut me off. But that man at the end of the room, I need to be with him. And I need to let him know how serious I am. And so if he's calling me, then I'm, I'm walking. Because just on the other side of that might be your legacy. And we get a chance to decide in this moment what it is we're going to be remembered for. A legacy of fear and failure or a legacy, a legendary legacy of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and being a good God who is so patient with us and God, you call us to things that are difficult and awkward and at times put us in places where we fear that we're going to lose something we can't get back, whether it's respect, whether it is a friendship, whether it is a romantic relationship, whatever that may be, we're afraid of losing it. But maybe even more, God, today we need to be afraid of missing and turning down the opportunity we have to turn things around. God, you've created us for more. You've created us for better. And we want to trust you in this. So God, for those who are not followers of Jesus, give them the courage to step out, to step out in faith, to say yes to you. Maybe today that step would be going public with their relationship with you and meeting with someone afterwards and saying, I'm ready to be baptized or lead me in a prayer to know Jesus, I'm ready. Or maybe it's going home today and being obedient in a relationship or in a habit or walking away from something that's held them back. Regardless, give us the strength today. God, we offer you our lives and our hope. You are all we have and you are all we want. And we need to have the courage and the strength that this lady had 2,000 years ago to risk everything for the sake of telling Jesus how serious she was about worshiping him. We offer you this time of worship now. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's offer up a sacrifice of praise.